I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 4 today. Uh, it is good to be together as a church family here and online. Let me tell you what's different. Uh, we have been preaching and looking in one direction. So if you're worshiping with us at home, everybody sits in a row at home. In the sanctuary, you're not all lined up. I don't know if you know that. And so uh, we, we have been laughing about how hard it was to only look one way the whole service. And now it's very difficult not to look one way the whole service. And so it's, it's, a, it's a surreal transition to be preaching and to be worshiping with more than the 18 people it takes to run what's going on. And so if you're in the room today, would you just encourage those who've been working the camera for two and a half months and helping that? Would y'all encourage them with me? Like you guys are doing an incredible job. Uh, we had some technical difficulties going on today. Uh, Corbin Garcia, and you'll see him next week, but he's flying all over this place during worship. And um, we don't want uh, our, our congregation at home um, to be uh, unaffected by us gathering together as well. And so we're going to do our best to try to balance it all out uh, as we get rolling. If you'll all be patient with us uh, today, it's, it's different. But it's so good to be together. Um, I, I was reading Daniel, and in the book of Daniel, um, it's a pretty sweet flow. I, it's a great thing. I'm preparing a um, journaling right now, preparing to go through it probably this fall, as well as a church body. Um, but when I came to Daniel chapter 4, what's interesting about Daniel chapter 4 is it, it takes an unusual tone. Daniel, as you start about it, is really following Daniel, Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's tying their story in with Nebuchadnezzar as they walk through that. And, and as they tie it all together, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar starts talking in the first person for about half of what's going on. It's kind of interesting to think about that with, with the picture of God. When we see in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so we get this moment of the Lord kind of interrupting the flow of expectation that we have. And, and, and in this uh, season that we're in, this virus, this pandemic has interrupted our flow. And the other side won't look the same way as the front side of it did. Things are going to be a little bit different. Some of those things will be great, and some of those things we'll miss. But, but even this week in our country, we've even had that interrupted. Uh, we, were, we were talking about this earlier today. There's a cycle that sin has for us in the midst of things, and it, it's not a complicated cycle. It, it looks like this. People do what is unthinkable. And when people do the unthinkable, most often it causes others to do the senseless. And the senseless makes someone do something unthinkable, and the unthinkable makes someone justify their senselessness. And then senselessness makes this. If you don't believe me, if you have more than one kid, you've seen how this works. Your, your one child steals something from another child. Let's pretend it's their dessert on their plate, right? And then the sensible thing to do would be to say what? Mom, Dad, they just stole my dessert. But instead, you see a spoon fly across the house. It doesn't even make sense. Like, what were you thinking? Well, they took my dessert. So you're going to, you know, take their eye out with a spoon? Like, well, that was too much. 
And then there's, there's a, well, they threw the spoon at me, Mommy. So what did you do back? Why didn't you come tell me they threw a spoon? Well, because I was mad. So what did you do? So I took the rest of their food. Why did you take the rest? That didn't make sense. Just kind of goes over. And we try to break this cycle. But if you're a parent, you know most of the time we're not trying to break a cycle. We're not successful. We're just trying to stay our time so that we endure the moment. Amen? So Connor, um, when he was young, he used to suck the middle two fingers. That's bad for about 407 reasons, but it's an Aggie to have your son walk around like this all the time. That's unthinkable and senseless. It doesn't, make, it doesn't work. And so we tried everything. We, we got tips from everyone. We would tell him it's bad for his health. Tell a two-year-old, that's bad for your health. They're like, oh, that's cool. I don't know what you just said, right? They're going through this. So we, we taped his fingers together. That didn't work. He just put the tape in his mouth. Do you know what two-year-old mouth tape looks like? It, it looks like strep throat eight times a year. <laughs> then we said, oh, let's take that off. Let's put that finger, anti-finger sucking stuff on. It's like cayenne pepper. He's like, can I have some chips with this? Nothing is stopping him. Nothing we can do is breaking it. And we're telling him, son, if the more you suck on, it's going to mess up your teeth. He's like, oh, okay. You know, what's it? son, for 30 days, if you can go 30 days without sucking your fingers, then we're going to let you, we're going to go out to McDonald's or whatever. He's like, okay, for 30 days, he doesn't suck his fingers. Guess what? Day 31, we go out to McDonald's. The next day, he's like, what's wrong? Like, are you kidding me? So finally, we give up. Nothing we can do is going to work. We can't break this cycle. It's not in the middle of it. And in the midst of that, we finally say, all right, the next time you go to the doctor, you have to pay the copay. At five-year-old, he's like, I'm done. These things aren't worth it. What? For all of this time, we've been working to try to break it. And then finally, we said, we quit. It's all on you. And it's broken. You see, when we talk about interruptions in life, it's not about what you and I can do. It's not about what you and I are smart enough to think about. It's not how brilliant we can be. You know, as I was watching the news this week, literally just weeping and then upset and trying to figure out what's going on, as I have seen families be discouraged and afraid and, and, and worried and sick and trying to think, Lord, how do we break this cycle? I'm in Daniel chapter 4, and he's like, listen... No government, no individual, no preacher, no one has ever broken the cycle of sin. There is only one name that breaks the cycle of sin. And until we submit to that, we're toast. And so in the midst of that, I'm reading Daniel chapter 4. And in this interruption with all that's going on in, in Nebuchadnezzar's life, he's the greatest king ever. Verse 4, look at what it says. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. With all that he had, this amazing king, the greatest kingdom at that time. All of it. The Lord says, knock, knock. I'm bringing an interruption. He wasn't asking for it. He wasn't wanting it. But the Lord broke that interruption. And it says he was at ease in his palace. Look at verse 5 with me. And I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I laid in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the Babylon should be brought before me, that they may make known to me their interpretation of the dream. Now pause with me there. 
Now listen, Jesus the Lord, sorry, the Father, God Almighty, he brings in this interruption. Nebuchadnezzar in his timetable, he, he's, he's living his life right here. And on this side of things, he's at peace and ease. And God says, here's the problem. You're at peace and ease in this unthinkable cycle that you are not supposed to be in. You are at ease and comfort in and of yourself, and you are not looking to my glory. You are not looking for what I could do in this life, what I am called to do in this world. And so the Lord interrupts it. And he interrupts it so bad that Nebuchadnezzar calls in all of his wise men. And he says, listen, you've got to tell me no games here. No games. You have to tell me what this dream means. And no one can say anything. And then the Bible says in verse 8, at last. At last. Daniel came in before me. He who is named Belshazzar after the name of my God. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream. Now, I want you to know something. We find out a lot about Nebuchadnezzar at point A here. As we look at his desire and his way to change things up, we see that he has taken a godly man. We have taken the things of God. Daniel has already interpreted his dreams. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look back to verse 3. They've already endured the fiery furnace. He knows the God of these guys is the God of gods, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's aware of that. And in the midst of this whole picture, he says, Daniel, come to me. And then he says, Daniel, you know, the one that I I rubber stamped with the name of my God, that's the guy. In this midst, we see man trying to put his stamp on the things of God. Listen, I have seen not just in this week with all that's going on, but I have seen my entire life people with good intentions and bad intentions trying to stamp the name of God and put their little copyright next to it. Do you know that's why Babel was destroyed? They were building a temple to reach the gods. So they weren't trying to get so close to God that he got afraid. When you build a temple, you put the the image of your God on top, showing that you have made the connection, that man has figured it out. And God said, note to self, dink, you haven't figured it out. But here's Nebuchadnezzar again, putting a stamp on what God has done. Guess what you and I can do in the midst of this? We can start taking matters into our own hands. We can figure out the pandemic. We can figure out race and hatred. We can figure out sin. If you and I decide, like King Nebuchadnezzar, to put our stamp on it, to take God out of the picture and put us in its way, then you know what he's going to do? Dink, come to the ground. And if we understand who God is, we are less likely to make such a foolish statement. So Nebuchadnezzar brands Daniel. Daniel comes before him and he tells him the dream. In the midst of this dream, he walks through the whole picture of it. And I'll recap it in just a second. And as he did, he finally says to Daniel in verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belshazzar, tell me, Tell me the interpretation. Why? Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known. In other words, man's best has fallen short of God's ability. But you, but you're able. 
for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He still doesn't get it, but, but he knows Daniel's different. <clears throat> so Daniel interprets his dream in verse 19. And I want you from verse 19, from here on out, to look at the difference between how God is seen and revered and makes himself known and how Nebuchadnezzar must respond. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king, the smartest of the smart, he's got all the money in the world. Verse 19. And then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream, uh, let not the dream or interpretation alarm you. And so he answered, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that it reached the, to the top of heaven and it's visible. It was visible to the end of the earth. Verse 21, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And it was for food for all under which the beast, the field found shade and the branches, the birds, the heaven lived. It's you, it's you. You're the greatest of the great. In your dream, God is affirming there is no other man who has as much as you. He's like Jeff Bezos meets ruler of the world. You know what I'm talking about? He, he's saying, you're right. I am showing you that you are able, that your kingdom is further, that you are the highest of the heights. And in this moment, sometimes we are tempted to think that when God says you are great among men, that, that means we are great. That's not what God's telling. That's not what God's telling Nebuchadnezzar. It's not what he's telling us. He says, O king, you who have become strong and grown, your greatness has grown to the reaches of heaven, your dominions to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw the watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump of roots in the earth, bound with band of iron and bronze and tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the fields till seven periods pass over them. O king, here's the interpretation. Verse 24. This is the decree, the word, the command of the Most High. And it's come upon you, my Lord, the King, that you will be driven from men and your dwelling will be the beasts of the field. You see, church, what we need to understand is that when you and I look for the answers, the ways to break the chains of sin, and we do it in a way that abandons submission to the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the education and the diploma on your wall, no matter where you've been or what you've come from, no matter who you are, when we try to break sin's power with man's plans, we we are offending the Almighty God. And when the Almighty God is offended, I want you to know He is not afraid. He is not afraid to humble the greatest king or the lowest servant. He's not afraid to inject Himself. Church, this morning, that's the God that we run to. That's the God that we cling to. I, I, I can't tell you how often I feel like we are tempted to look to man's plans. This week, as I've watched the news, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it said, man, I, I wish there was something that I could do. I wish there was something that I could do. And I've, I've read lists 
I've read the 75 things I can do, the 50 things I can do, the 10 things I can do, the eight things I can do as a pastor. I've read all the things I can do. None of them lean into the Lord's power and result in saying whatever God tells you to do, be obedient to the Almighty. Everything says, this is what God says. Let me put my stamp on it and you do what I say and the world will be a better place. Note to self, following men does not break the chains of sin and lead to godliness. Following men leads to the pit of condemnation and separation from God. I don't care what our intention is or what letter is next to your name when you go vote. Because none of it has power. And Nebuchadnezzar finds that out in this moment. And Daniel says in verse 27, Oh, king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. How? By practicing rightness. By practicing rightness. And your inequities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Listen, Jesus has not died on the cross yet. This, this sin, this chain of sin has not been broken yet. But what Daniel says is, if you practice a rightness with God, if you just and you, you live as a king in rightness, perhaps the Lord will relent. He's done it before. Remember when, when, when Jonah was called to Nineveh? They were, they were condemned. They were the worst of the worst. But they re repented. They practiced rightness for a season. So what did God do? In his patience and his kindness, he led them to that repentance. Church, this morning, our interruption must be that you and I know the only thing that we can do, the only way that we can live in power is in obedience to the voice of the Almighty God and not to any man. That's what God interrupts Nebuchadnezzar's life with. So does it work? God gives him the answer. He says, Scripture's not all about you. Your kingdom's not all about you. He tells them, this is what you should do. The Bible says this in verse 28. God in his patience gives Nebuchadnezzar time. He says this, and all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar and at the end of 12 months, for one year, God was patient. At the end of 12 months, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the king of glory, or excuse me, and for the glory of my majesty. Can, can you feel his chest puff up a little bit? I, I remember as a teenager, we would decorate our walls with the medals that we had won. Anybody else do that? Man, my, my letter jacket had a place in the closet. My, our trophies lined every space possible so that when you walked in, you would know the majesty and the glory of the person who inhabited one of the stinkiest rooms you've ever walked in. Right? That's what I wanted you to know. Nebuchadnezzar's doing that very thing. So what does God do as he's taking in how great he is? Verse 31, while the words were still on his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like ox. 
You, you have seven periods of time. They'll pass over you until you know the most high rules, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word of the Lord was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feather and his nails were like a bird's claw. The Lord was patient, but let me tell you, he didn't even strain a muscle in taking down the greatest king in the greatest kingdom that had ever been up to that point. He didn't even flinch. With a breath, he created the world. He didn't even have to breathe to take down this king of glory living on the earth. Church, this morning, that is the God we worship. That's the one we run to. This is the one we rely on. So as you and I struggle with our fear, with our physicality, with our emotional, our mental strain, as we struggle to take in what's going on with the world, here's what's going on with the world. The world is being led by sin, and they're giving in to that. And we as believers, we must understand that the God that we worship is able with a, a flinch, with a flex, to take down the greatest king. He can right anything going on in this country. He can make right anything going on in this world at, at the moment he chooses to when his heart desires and it will take nothing. Yet you and I can try in our own strength to make everything right and we can't even make our children make the decisions we want them to make. How in the world do you think that you and I in our own wisdom are gonna fix the problems of this country? It's not gonna happen. So what do we do? The Bible shows us. Verse 34. And in the last days, in the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and I honored him who lives forever, for his dominion's everlasting. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at that same time, the Bible says, his, reasons, his reason returned to him, and the glory of the kingdom was given back, and the majesty and the splendor was returned to him. The Lord is gracious and merciful with you and I who call upon his name, who submit to follow his will, who exalt his name and run after our Father. That moment when the Lord is glorified, his mercy comes to fulfillment. In Romans, it says it was the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his faithfulness. Church, for you and I today, our country is in desperate need. And our country is made up of us, just like our church is made up of us. Our country is in desperate need of an almighty interruption. It does not need the faulty wisdom and best intentions of a broken individual. What would happen? if the church of America broke out into a riot of prayer, repenting and beseeching the Lord of all things to fix what no man can fix, to break free from no, no man can break free from, what would it look like if we turned to the Almighty because of his reputation and turned away from ourselves and our own understanding? The Bible says this, at the same time his splendor returned, 
People sought me out. I was established again. And actually more greatness was added to me. As great as Nebuchadnezzar was, he realized that when we follow God, that's the greater path. That's the win. It's hard. I, I can't imagine our, our educators trying to figure out what school's going to look like. Families trying to figure out what, what public interaction is going to look like. Our country trying to figure out what healing is going to look like. There are so many chains in our own sense, we don't even know where to start. But check it. The Bible says it doesn't start with you. It never did. It starts with me. And when you follow me, the greatness that you will see will be greater than anywhere you've been before. Because the restoration of God is complete. It's full. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven for all his words are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That's the confession of a king who didn't know the salvation of our Savior. How much more should it be the confession of those who have tasted life? This morning, if you're with us online, or if you're in here with us right now, there is no assumption. If you don't know the King of glory, for a season you may taste his mercy, but like Nineveh and like Babylon, in the end, you will taste his wrath. Because that's his proclamation, that's his will. But in his patience, he's given us time to repent, to lift up the name of God, to humble ourselves. And so as we sing our song of invitation, there's no walking to the front this morning, but that doesn't mean the response isn't real. If you're watching online, you can fill out our comment card on the webpage. If you're in this room, as you're walking out and need to stop by, someone will be in the ALC to visit with you. We serve the King of glory. And the best thing we can do is acknowledge who he is and submit in obedience to his direction. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. God, I ask as we come before you in this place, Lord, whether we're at home or together, that you wouldn't allow your reputation to be missed. Lord, that we would stop leaning on our own understanding and submit to the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Father God, we know you can heal our land at a thought. We know you can break the chains of sin and hatred in a moment. Father God, just let us be obedient to you. Let us listen to your voice that you might heal, Lord, what has been torn apart. In Jesus' name, amen.